and we are recording recording in progress with the one and only dr peter mccullough live on the show on wednesday february 22nd 6 p.m eastern time and uh dr mccullough you just got back from australia because you were a globetrotting super many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Star, and I live vicariously through you. Can you give me an update on what's going on there? Tommy, just returned from a great trip. You know, before we get going, I, I, you know, I need you to kind of reveal something to me. Am I the most frequent invited guest on the TPC podcast? Yeah. yeah. Am I? Am I number one? No. Of total appearances? You, yes. you might be beaten out by my buddy Dale, who's in Delta Force. Oh. We did a lot early on. He came on like I got beat out by Dale. Well oh, everyone man. well most people don't get beat out by Dale. They get killed by Dale. So I guess that's a good okay. thing. I, <laughs> I guess, guess that's, that's a good thing. <laughs> but no, you are aggregate views. You're the most viewed episode. you're the most viewed guest. Far and away. You've got it there all. There we no, go. No, yeah. No, you are uh, I have a diversified portfolio, but you are certainly the uh, heavy hitter. Well you've done a great job through the yes, pandemic. Sir. I think you're attention to history, your attention to uh, some of the wider uh, uh, changes that we're seeing in groupthink are, are very important. Uh, and so, yeah, it, you know, I, I have not traveled much in the last three years. I used to travel, I could travel up to 10 international trips a year in academic medicine. I was, uh, you know, a, a frequent lecturer at, at medical schools and health agencies all over the world prior to COVID. And then COVID hit uh, almost nothing for three years um, uh, in no, no, really no major travel uh, across the ocean. Uh, but I was invited uh, to a conference in uh, Delhi, India, and it was hosted uh, at an international conference center there. And I headlined, the, headlined programs there with uh, Asim Malhotra, lead cardiologist from the UK, and a, a very important barrister or lawyer in India, his name is Prashant Bushnan, who's a very humble man. Uh, he's actually the uh, focus of uh, one of our substacks published today by John Leake. And Prashant Bushnan uh, took a case to the Supreme Court pretty early in the vaccine program. And uh, he made the case that there were three things uh, that, you know, on behalf of the public that they wanted. They wanted the, uh, the data about uh, clinical trials uh, of the vaccines in Indians that were tested among the Indian uh, population. They, uh, they wanted the, um, uh, the, the vaccines to be removed from, they wanted the vaccine mandates to be dropped and they wanted the, vaccine, uh, the vaccines to be removed from the market. They wanted this clean sweep. And uh, they got one out of the three. Uh, but the one they got was to drop all the vaccine mandates. And, and the argument that was made successfully is that the, 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 someone who took a vaccine is indistinguishable from someone who did not take a vaccine. And they were able to prove that, and that stood the test of time uh, in the Supreme Court of India. And so, you know, the Indians have not been under any forms of mandates. They, they had a restriction of children not going to school uh, all the way till... Um, April of 2022, which is uh, pretty amazing. The, re the rest of the place looks like the good old dusty, noisy India that I know from old. Uh, uh, cars all over the place, people all over the place. Um, you, you know, just the incredible diversity of people there. Uh, you know, they were wonderful. Uh, just to give you a, some color on this, Tommy, I, I presented this conference. I had a sport coat and tie, kind of the usual Dr. McCullough usual. Uh, there was uh, an Indian woman in the traditional Indian garb. There was some other guy who showed up in shorts and a soccer shirt and uh, some sandals. And before you know it, he was walking around in bare feet. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, he was you know, just all different types of people. <laughs> the other thing that I said is, is, you know, I had intimated that I thought maybe most, most people in the crowd had taken the vaccine and oh, they went nuts. But 90% of people in the crowd said, we did not take this vaccine. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, 90%. And then uh, someone else kind of let out at one of the breaks that his estimate was that 30% of Indians had fake vaccine cards. <laughs> That's awesome. So uh, so that was India. And, and so we were just there a few days. We didn't get sick. We were pretty uh, careful. And uh, 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 we had put out a communique to um, Prime Minister Modi that we'd be happy to meet with him. I had previously met with his doctor last time I was in India as a guest lecturer, but didn't work out. But we got messages at least through to Modi. And then Asim Malhotra, who's with us, who actually gave a great speech at the conference. He went on to a second conference in Mumbai. And then I loaded up uh, on my way to Australia. And I had greater anxieties about going to the land down under than I did India. Just because of the, the Orwellian crackdown they've had? Just a really an extraordinary time. You know, India uh, is a, a country of 1.3 billion people and an interesting continent. The continent itself is a peninsula. And one of the questions that was answered that John Leake asked, he said, how can a place like India of its size contain such a huge population? And you know what the answer was? You'd be fascinated. The answer was, because every bit of ground in India can produce food. Oh, I said, I've never thought about that. You know, there's no deserts. There's, there's oh. really no, uh, uh, you know, area of land that couldn't be properly utilized to generate food. So they can generate a, a ton of food. They're actually food self-sufficient in India. Learn that as well. Now, moving on to Australia, Australia is a continent is big. You can almost lay it down right, right inside the borders of the United States. Um, but, uh, Australia, 26 million people. Uh, in the state of Texas, we're 29 million. So I had used the Texas-Australia analogy saying, listen, it's the same virus, uh, the same susceptible population. In fact, Texas probably more susceptible populations because we know Blacks and Hispanics historically have just far worse outcomes with COVID than Caucasians. They also have multi-generational households. We, we actually have deeper pockets of, of poverty in the United States than Australia does. But uh, the, the ways that, that the countries handle this was completely different. In the United States, in many ways, we just kind of let it happen. In Texas, we had closed some restaurants and some public uh, you know, venues for a period of time. Uh, the um, Dallas Independent School District was closed for a year. Parochial schools stayed open. Uh, but I can tell you for 2022, in 2023 now, Texas is, there's, you can't tell that there's any problem here. The restaurants are full, people are, are outside and jogging and, and the planes are packed. You know, Dallas is the headquarters for both American and Southwest Airlines. So we're kind of a big, big air uh, aviation hub and everything's been business as usual for a long time. Our hospitals have not been overloaded with COVID. In fact, we never were overloaded. Uh, in Dallas and I believe count, uh, Collin County, the, the criterion for being overloaded was more than 15% of the hospital beds full of COVID patients. We never got there because the hospitals were able to increase capacity. We, we had enough doctors doing early treatment, keeping people out of the hospital. So the analogy is, listen, we, in Texas, we kind of got through it. We've got a big economy. Uh, yeah, I'm sure our economy is probably bigger than that of Australia. Australia is so different, Tommy. You know, the, the lead cities are are Melbourne and uh, Sydney, but they've got also wonderful Canberra, the, the capital, Brisbane, and then there's the, the Sunshine Coast and the Gold Coast and Adelaide down south and uh, certainly Perth out west. Uh, you know, they, they, they have a distributed population. They have very clean cities. I mean, I didn't see any poverty at all. I, I really I doubt they have some, maybe in the interior there in Alice Springs. But... Um, you know, their response was completely different. They had draconian, brutal lockdowns. People couldn't leave their house, shut down schools and businesses completely. Uh, someone sick with COVID, they put a five per, uh, kilometer perimeter. They, they really couldn't, you know, navigate beyond a perimeter. They could not travel between states. That would be like us not driving between Oklahoma and Texas. Like, why would that matter? You know what? You couldn't drive between states for a really long period of time. You certainly couldn't fly between states. Uh, and, and just uh, in effect, their policy was no jab, no job. Jeez. That's and they had the they had the camps, right? 
We're told they had 12 camps. I, you know, I never got a straight story on what was going on with these camps, but boy, they, they sounded awful. They put a lot of, of, of laws on the books that were pretty serious. We're talking about taking people to prison. Uh, you, you know, one could not, quote, speak out against the narrative. Uh, they've decertified many doctors uh, for either trying to treat COVID patients or give uh, public COVID information. Uh, and um, uh, and they have a, a very authoritarian regulatory agency called the TGA, Therapeutic Goods Administration. And it's led by someone named John Skerritt. And this was really the theme of, of our mission. So when we, when we go to Australia, and I was a visiting professor there a few years ago. I already had a visa. Okay. I was already good. My wife got a visa fine uh, in our entourage was John Leake, my co-author for Courage to Face COVID-19. John got a visa fine. But Pierre Corey, you know, well-known early treatment doctor, no visa, no visa, no wow. visa. It took a parliamentary action just before midnight of the day of his travel to grant his visa. He had to get his tickets within like six hours uh, to, to get in. And, uh, and and Corey and I, and my entourage are gonna re- uh, land the, the, the same day. And sure enough, they flag uh, both Corey and myself. Uh, you know, when I try to use my passport and the little, little electronic thing to go in, my wife and John scoot right in and I'm, I got flagged. And we both got pulled over separately and said, you know, listen, you're on uh, inappropriate visas. You should be on business visas as if they knew everything I was going there for. I said, come on, I'm not being paid. I'm attending conferences. You know, that's within the realm of the visa. So they kind of shook me down to see if I was going to flinch. And then I was able to kind of talk my way in and supervisors, you know, you, you know, you're called over to some side room. You feel like they're going to give you some body blows. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply or something yeah. uh, you know, behind the wall. And Corey did the same thing. So we were delayed, but we did get in. Uh, but starting at airport immigration, they knew Americans were coming. They had not had anybody deliver them a message about what was going on in the pandemic. So we were guests of, uh, of you know, one of their most famed billionaires, Clive Palmer. And Clive Palmer is a larger than life completely self-made billionaire, self-made. He owns um, mines of various mineral and iron and coal deposits that are vast. And he owns them throughout Southeast Asia, Australia, land rights. He's had many businesses and um, he's worth probably 20 times that of Trump. I mean, he's really, he's really a big guy. You know, he's been a member of parliament. Uh, he started his own party. He's put money behind candidates. Uh, he believes in medical freedom. He was hospitalized for COVID. He wanted to get treatment outside the hospital and he forced that, made it happen. So this guy is, is the real deal. He wanted to meet us. And boy, was it wonderful. We, we flew around mainly the country in what's called the Global Express. We called it the Global X, probably the world's leading private airplane. Oh. And we're talking perfect. This thing, this thing didn't, it didn't even have a single rumble, not a single little bit of turbulence, uh, you know, wonderful staff serving you anything you want to serve, couches. I mean, just, just as luxurious as you can imagine. In fact, I did my interview for the McCullough Report on the Global X, and it was it was quiet enough and smooth enough that the interview came out okay. Um, and then uh, in between other venues, we flew by helicopter. First time I've flown in a helicopter, which is pretty neat. Uh, he owns houses everywhere, guest houses. He has staff helping us. Uh, he took us on his yacht, Tommy, his yacht uh, in the harbor there near Brisbane. Uh, in 2013 was voted uh, the number one luxury uh, boat craft in the world. That's awesome. And, and so, yeah, number one, I mean, it's as good as you can get. In fact, his boat 
as we speak, I think is is going to be chugging on the way, or later on, it's going to be chugging on the way over to Monaco, and uh, he'll be over there for various festivities. I think one of his kids is going to get married over there. But Clive Palmer, larger than life, very good guy, uh, wanted to meet us, get to know us. He was a wonderful host, great staff. And then we sit in on the business at hand, which was very large public programs. Our programs, you'll see them on my Twitter feed, were thousands of people. We're talking major venues. I felt like a rock star, Tommy. I felt like I should have an electric guitar, but instead I just had my laptop computer with some COVID data. I mean, uh, this was amazing. Uh, all these uh, all these folks wanted to have pictures, all these wonderful girls. There was one uh, event, I think I took 400 pictures um, and, and they just wanted to associate with a doctor who seemed reasonable. And um, when I tried to explain this to Palmer at the first event, I said, you know, listen, the, these girls are going to want to get pictures. And he's like, uh-uh. He goes, I don't want to have any security problems. Somebody could, you know, and he gave me this big, long explanation. And I said, well, you'll see. And sure enough, you know, by one of the intermissions, it was just a massive crowd. And we just figured, <laughs> listen, we're going to do what we always do, take pictures. People like to take pictures. Um, but we had a great time. Uh, our programs were uh, led in, you know, the, the lead speaker was a, a woman who I interviewed for my podcast. In fact, it's up on the Apple iHeart network right now. Her name is Melissa McCann. Probably should have her on, Tommy. She's wonderful, very attractive, uh, younger doctor, um, you know, kind of that Irish, uh, uh, that Irish Australian descent, probably a distant relative of mine. And um, <laughs> she's a general practitioner. And she did a practice audit after the vaccines came out. And she said, listen, this doesn't look good. I'm having people with vaccine injuries. So she wrote John Scarrett at the TGA. So I did a practice audit. It's what I found. And then she started looking at other vignettes reported in their system. And she starts a dialogue with Scarrett. And he starts writing letters back. And the most interesting thing is they get to the point where Scarrett admits the vaccines are causing fatal myocarditis. And in the letters, he admits that he doesn't want to release this to the public. He wants to conceal fatal myocarditis from the public because he doesn't want to have any vaccine hesitancy. He wants people, more people to take vaccines. So she has this all in a series of letters, which she is showing on the screen. And the crowd is gasping that this is going on. And then uh, uh, Pierre Corey and John Leake, and then myself, we give our presentations. And so Australians now are fully informed of what's going on. Uh, we went on after these programs. We went to Parliament House in Canberra. And, and there we met a woman who had taken a vaccine and now she's suffered a severe neurologic injury. She has a tremor. She can't walk. She can't speak normally. Uh, she has this illness, which she's had you know, MRI scans and everything else. And she's left with no other diagnosis outside the vaccine. It really happened. And she did well on shot one and two, but it was shot three because they have to keep taking them there. They can't stop. Shot three, she developed myopericarditis and then this uh, neurologic uh, uh, syndrome. The, the neurologic syndrome looks to me like multiple sclerosis, although she doesn't have the characteristic um, uh, enhancing uh, plaques on MRI that, that a typical patient would. But she was there at Parliament House. We had a reception. And then we found the cadre of key people who understand that vaccines are a problem, including uh, there, their parliament is organized to an upper house and lower house. The upper house, uh, they are called senators. The lower house, they're just called members of parliament, but they're all members of parliament. Uh, but it included um, Gerard Rennick, um, Malcolm Roberts, uh, 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 Broadbent, uh, and just a few, uh, Babbitt, uh, and, and a few more of these uh, senators, just like in the United States, just a handful who really understand what's going on. And they're doing everything they can. They have a new uh, prime minister now, Albanese, to to try to try to slow down or reverse this vaccine freight train. And uh, their numbers are 95% of people took the vaccine, uh, Tommy, initially, and currently 25% are keeping up with boosters. By the way, in the United States, you know what our CDC says for adults now, Tommy? I just checked the website today. CDC says 92% of Americans have taken at least one shot and that... Um, 19% are keeping up on uh, keeping up on the boosters. 19%. This adult data. That's what CDC says. 
let me just verify that. So uh, at least one dose, age over 18. Yeah, CDC says 92%. And then um, taken a bivalent booster that would be updated, uh, age over 18, 19.3%. So, you know, whether it's Australia or the United States, um, you know, people were compliant. You know, it was a needle in every arm and people did it. It's it's wild. And I I just finished uh, Dr. Bregan's book, Global Predators, which you've mentioned so many times on the show. I finally finished it. And that is an utterly terrifying book. And there is no deeper dive on just how well-coordinated, orchestrated, and executed this entire thing has been. And Dr. Bregan and I spoke earlier today on a podcast, and it was, it was, it was a little bleak, but you kind of seem to be emitting light and love. So, <laughs> is is there what's the silver lining in this? Is are the restrictions receding? Are people in positions of power pushing back more? Is the is the grand evil plan maybe not as impenetrable as we thought? You know, it seems like uh, it seems like Star Wars. You know, there is the uh, the Empire and uh, they're big. They've got the Death Stars. They've got all the, the cruisers, the fighters. Uh, you know, they all wear the same uniform. They have the same evil accents. And then there's this ragtag team of, of, of rebel, the, the Rebel Alliance. We met the Rebel Alliance in Australia. Uh, you know, you're part of the Rebel Alliance in the United States. We're just... You know, we don't wear the same uniforms. Some of us look like we're different creatures from another planet. It just <laughs> seems like Star Wars here. It, it does. really does. And, you know, who's fighting for good? Who's fighting for uh, for for evil? Or who's a part of this evil, you know, plan going on? But but I think the, the beacons of freedom are, uh, you know, are emitting light. People are receiving the light. And, and, and hopefully more of it will, will sink in. Um, I had a conversation today has to remain anonymous, uh, but a source within the National Football League. And what he told me is that players, teams, administrations are afraid to talk about the vaccine. They're afraid to talk about it. Meaning you couldn't have a conversation one way or the other. And and I said, listen, these are some of the biggest, strongest, (laughs) violent men and they're almost like they're whimpering mice right now. I mean, I used a more severe term, but I sure. said, really? I mean, I feel like I could walk into an NFL locker room and just push these guys over with my little pinky finger. I mean, are they really that weak? Uh, you know, they don't have any courage to even talk about this as an issue. What are they afraid of? Well, you know, he just couldn't explain that there's this cloud of fear, that there's there's fearfulness out there. It's very interesting. And aren't they, isn't there an, like an NFL association now urging players to screen, do cardiac screens for vaccine injury? Isn't that coming out in the last couple of days? Well, I mean, doctors are encouraging the NFL Players Association to screen for myocarditis, heart inflammation. And the doctors are encouraging the Players Association. Remember the NFL ran, ran mandates from March of I'm sorry, from August of 2021 to March of 2022. They only ran the mandates for about eight months and they claim 95% of the players got vaccinated. Sounds pretty similar now to the US population, 92% got vaccinated. And then they dropped them. They dropped. They just dropped everything as if COVID didn't exist. They dropped all the testing protocols. They dropped all the vaccines. It was almost like, okay, uh, we achieved our goal. We got the vaccines and COVID doesn't exist anymore. It was so interesting. To my knowledge, there weren't any COVID hospitalizations or deaths in the football players. And I'm not surprised because they're so fit and strong. It's to my knowledge. Um, But now people are encouraging the Player Association. Why is that? Because uh, DeMar Hamlin is an example of what can happen, we believe. You probably saw his interview with Michael Strahan, where Strahan finally asked him, hey, you know, what caused the cardiac arrest? And Hamlin goes, I don't want to go there. Oh, well, listen, you know, if he had a heart valve problem or, or his heart was thick or something like this, he'd just say, listen, you know, they, they found a heart problem. 
I mean, what, what's the the only two things that could make Hamlin say, I don't want to go there, would be drug abuse. That he did drug abuse and he violated team rules and you know snorted some cocaine or something before the game, or the COVID nineteen vaccine. Those would be the two things where he would say, I don't want to go there. Both drugs from different cartels. That is, <laughs> that is, but that is, that's terrifying. Um, and to kind of pivot from there, is it, what is going on with right now? And, you know, today is February 22nd for all future listeners. What is going on right now with uh, the UN and, excuse me, the UN and the WHO and giving away like national sovereignty in case of a, another pandemic? The UN and the WHO, and then this, what, what John Leake and I call the biopharmaceutical complex, this, yeah. this organized syndicate, World Economic Forum, Gates Foundation, Wellcome Trust, Rockefeller Foundation, Gavi, Unitate, UNICEF, uh, you know, it just keeps going and going. Um, the WHO is back at it again. Remember, WHO has currently declared that we're still under a SARS-CoV-2 Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And monkeypox worldwide emergencies. Worldwide. They're still active. Now, honestly, I haven't heard somebody express a, 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 a single bit of concern regarding monkeypox for a very long time. Uh, I don't think most people would even know we're under a monkeypox uh, worldwide emergency declared, let alone a U.S. declared monkeypox emergency. But what the WHO is after is they're after what they, they wanted to go after about a year ago, and that is they want worldwide authority to declare emergencies and then to start taking action. So this is a lot different. Remember, WHO always used to you know, provide uh, data, uh, analytics, in vitro diagnostics, consensus conferences. They never actually had operational control over anything. They, they want operational control over things uh, worldwide. They would actually, you know, be be, be subject to international law. And uh, you know, the Biden administration wanted to give them all of that uh, about nine months ago, and people pushed back. What kept it from being ratified? Remember, the WHO rolls up 193 countries. Uh, what stopped it was uh, Africa, just kind of below that, uh, the middle part of Africa, including uh, the Ivory Coast and countries in and around there. They, they didn't want to do it. And they said, listen, we don't have a trust for the WHO. And so they're the ones who stopped it. It wasn't Canada or the United States or anywhere else. But the WHO is at, is at it again. And I hope people can realize that all health care should be local. It should be administered local. The WHO can't possibly know what the best thing to do in Dallas, Texas is. And they, they can't possibly know what the best thing to do is in the Ivory Coast, uh, that they've overstepped their bounds, but they, they still are going for the power grab of all time. It is, it's, again, and this is just the method of attack they're using. It's not that they actually, uh, not that anyone actually believes it. They don't care about the health. This is just the method of attack. And it's, it's the best form of attack. It's for your health, right? You know, we learned thousands of years ago to stop just barging into towns and burning them. You gotta, you gotta throw up a, a false excuse. So, with that, then, is it going to continue here? And it again, reading uh, Global Predators, you see all the in hindsight, you just see all of the little pieces of almost these like gleeful statements in the years leading up like if there were to be a pandemic and we need to be prepared and there will be misinformation and and then you know getting really weird into it will be a respiratory vi virus it will be SAR it will be SARS COVID it will be you go into this and you see all the powers lining up and all the money lining up and all of the edicts and the executive orders they're placed neatly on the shelf just in case something happens and then COVID happens. And what they predicted is exactly what came to pass. And now we are in the waters of speculation. But 
they're gonna do it again, right? They're not they're not just going for WHO control over sovereign nations just for fun. They're gonna do it again. The question, like, let, let's just uh, pl- play the out. This is all intentional. It's intentional release. Sure. And I'm not convinced of that, but me, me uh, neither. Let's but let's, yeah, let's take it. Let's, let's just say it's intentional release. Uh, you know, I think the rate limiting step for them, it's the bug. It's the bug. So let's take Ebola. You know, Ebola hasn't gone too far because it's so lethal. You know, it's not like you could have Ebola, you know, in every city in America you know, cooking away. It's just just too lethal. Um, uh, let's say Marburg virus, the same thing. I think it's probably too lethal. Uh, and then other ones, they just haven't uh, taken off. Look at monkeypox. It, it it quickly evolved into a sexually transmitted disease pattern. It just, it just didn't have the juice that SARS-CoV-2 had. So I, I think uh, I think those who are in this pandemic preparedness planning stage, they'd have to have the right organism again to try to, quote, pull this off again. If you look at the PrEP Act, the PrEP Act webpage, uh, remember that that the U.S. considers what we're talking about, Tommy, is national security, uh, national security threats to the country. And that's where the PrEP Act comes in. The PrEP Act, uh, which is the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness Act, it um, has a series of of, of programs that they declarations. So I'm just looking at the website, Tommy. They have one for smallpox, monkeypox, and other orthopox viruses, Marburg uh, virus and disease, Ebola, nerve agents and insecticides, Zika virus, pandemic influenza, anthrax, and acute radiation syndrome, presumably from <coughs> A, a nuclear holocaust, and then botulinum uh, toxin. So that's what they have for their other declarations and um, pre- current prep acts. And then, of course, they have one for SARS-CoV-2. So, you know, if you're just to stay within the realm of of, of what our country is considering, you know, that's kind of what's on deck right now. The infections, infectious ones are smallpox, Marburg, Ebola, Zika, flu, uh, anthrax, and botulinum toxin. Toxin. So that wouldn't be necessarily a botulinum outbreak. It would be some use of the toxin as a biological threat. But everything here in the PrEP Act is what our response would be and the immunities granted granted to those uh, using countermeasures against biological threats. Every one of these in the PrEP Act website is considered a biological threat to the United States, including SARS-CoV-2. And they're just going to layer them one after the other and just keep battening down the hatches. I mean, you have to. Well, it, it means they're ready. Tommy, it means they're ready. So uh, recently, uh, Marburg was was uh, you know was in the uh, mix here. Well, you know they put a notice of declaration under public readiness, an emergency preparedness for Marburg. They put this on the HHS uh, Federal Register, December 9th, twenty twenty. December ninth, um, yeah, and. Um, uh, you know, this uh, this comes out of um, of uh, Health and Human Services. It's a declaration to provide liability immunity to individuals and entities co- who are considered covered persons against any claim or loss arising out of, relating to, or resulting from the, the manufacture, distribution, administration, or use of medical countermeasures, except for claims involving willful misconduct as defined under the PREP Act. And then it goes on to, 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 uh, to talk about these. I mean, it's just, uh, you, you know, so there is a well-defined many pages of preparation, liability, uh, how these countermeasures could be administ- administered, what the target populations would be, geographic areas. It's all there under the PREP Act. That's just for Marburg virus. Good Lord. Yeah. So a PrEP Act website 
is uh, is a good place to look. And you know, it's another good. Uh, you know, we've talked about DARPA. You've covered DARPA, the research part of the military. But there's another unit called, uh, uh, I believe it's DHARPA. Let me make sure I get this. This is really um, uh, amazing. There is, uh, yes, there is a, another website. And uh, uh, this is, um, this is, has to deal with, um, this has to do yeah. with the digital the history advanced projects. Except yeah, it has to do with the the information technology around uh, you know around uh, um, DARPA. Uh, no, I not I take that wrong. I got the wrong acronym. It's actually called I think it's called A A Harpa. Let me see if I can get to it here. Okay. But um, I think anybody who's interested in doing just a little. Um, uh, you know, just a little research on what the government has is doing. Health this advanced is, research project projects. It's just Harpa. Harpa, thank you. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, so here's what you know. Meet Harpa, the bold way that the Biden administration can jumpstart health administration. But a, a lot of this, um, these federal agencies, you know, no one's paying attention where the money is going. We haven't, we haven't heard any discussion of a federal budget now in years. No one knows where this money is going, Tommy. Some of these agencies, the money is pouring in there in, on this information technology side of the defense uh, research. You know, it's all about, it's all about social media and influencing people's accounts and and you know how the FBI was inside Twitter. We still don't know if FBI is involved in Twitter or not. Uh, I, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, we definitely need the. Well, I mean, the Twitter files does show there's direct liaisons. Um, I mean, it's based. It'd be purely speculation. I don't have the receipt, so I would have to be careful about that. But, but uh, did they ever let you back on, Tommy? Twitter. They did uh, a couple days ago. Actually, I got back on. I kept You're appealing. I kept appealing, and they finally got back to me. Um, you, you know, Michael Yaden, who you've probably had on, he still is one of the few. I've let tried, me. I've tried to let get me him pull on. You up, Tommy. What's your handle? The uh, I think Tommy's podcast. I think T O M M Y S underscore podcast. Let me check and make sure. Yeah, T O M M Y S underscore podcast. A tough handle, Tommy. <laughs> no, it's not Tommy's podcast. I'm fo Tom. I'm following you. I know. I know. You got fourteen eighty-five followers. Yeah, you're legit. Looks like you're retweeting something. Oh, you got my Australia back state of mortality. Yeah. Uh, global predators. Oh, Peter Bright. He looks good in glasses. Yeah. Uh, I tell you. Well, there you go. You're back. I'm gonna. I'm gonna promote you right now with a couple Thank retweets. Thank you, sir. To my mega account, Tommy. You know people. <laughs> Flexing on Dr. McCall is flexing on me. This is his power move. It, this is a humiliation oh, I trial. Just, I just retweeted you. I'm Thank telling you, you right now. Oh, there you are, Tommy. There you are in a tank top. Uh, I'll tell you, the, the girls are going to be, you know, the girls are going to be pouring into my account saying, "Do you know Tommy? Is you, he you available?" Just, you just send him my way. You, you just send you, him my you way. Know, do, you, do you think he'd kind of go out with me? It ha Listen, it have, I've been married 35 years, Tommy. Happens to me all the time. These girls come out, and that's kind of their, Send their, their angle. Send yeah. them to me. I'll be your. I will handle these situations for you. Let like, me tell you, the, Tommy. <laughs> the Australian girls wanted to have pictures. I think at the um, at the Melbourne event, it, it almost got to be unruly. There was this okay. pressing crowd, and the security started getting really uncomfortable. I was kind of pressed up against the wall, uh, and, and you know, got to some point, they they said, "Listen, we got to pull them out of here." Uh, and then, but in um, in Sydney, we are much more organized. I think in Sydney, because there's like a receiving line, uh, I must have taken about 400 pictures. Good Lord. You bring 400 pictures, yeah. Bring and me so, next time, and I will take this off your hands. I will. Well, this is what I say. Listen, 400 pictures, Tommy. And just to be honest with you, these Australian girls are very attractive. Of course. And uh, 400 pictures. And I asked the question Have you ever seen Fauci have women clamor for a picture? No. Or how about uh, you know how about Ja or Murthy or, or even this guy in Australia Scarrett? No. You'd never see a receiving line of girls who want to take pictures with those guys. Yeah, 
Well, you know, Tommy, listen, you know, this is me and you. This is about what's hot. Medical freedom is hot. Um, uh, well, well you, going against the status quo is always, everyone's always like that. Both sexes. Just holding up yeah, a middle finger. Yeah. You're so true. Remember Jimmy Dean, right? He was yes. kind of the, yes. the rebel. Girls were just like, gosh, I love this guy. He's a, uh, you know, he's a walking streak of sex. Uh, it's just you know, these, these kind of bad boys, you know, g- girls like uh, bad boys. And uh, I never thought, to, and guys do too. Um, I, you know, I never thought that I would be viewed that way. But um, anyhow, my wife's been very good about it. I've been married 35 years, very happily married. And, and many of the girls, you know, they're married too. They actually want to meet my wife, uh, but they, they want pictures because they want to be able to relate to somebody they, they know this is an important inflection point in history. Uh, and all what I'm saying is, Tommy, the guys who are with the Empire, nobody wants a picture with Darth Vader or with, uh, with Palatine, any of these guys. Forget it. Nobody does. They want pictures with Luke Skywalker, <laughs> with, uh, with Harrison Ford. That's who they want the pictures worth. You know, they, I've, never, I've never heard anybody say, I want a picture with Darth Vader. Nobody. Nobody. You know, they want pictures with the heroes. And and in medical freedom, it is about, you know, who's on who's going to be on the right side of history. We we haven't said anything beyond the fact that people should have a freedom of choice. We should have compassionate care. We should listen to each other's opinions. I was shocked uh, at a Twitter feed that I just saw within the last hour, a, a very nice and and well-stated, well-presented doctor in Florida, John Littell, who I know, he's about my age, maybe a bit younger, but he's the most appropriate and pleasant man you'd ever meet. He was just under police escort, booted out of a medical board meeting at Sarasota Memorial Hospital. I mean, the cops, these big cops were ushering him out and it was all on film. And you know why? because he simply wanted to have a discussion about ivermectin in the treatment of COVID. And John Littell is ushered out of a board meeting by police force. What the hell? Yeah. Listen, the other side doesn't even want to hear a word. They do not even want to talk about this. It really is. It is a psychosis. Like, it's absurd. It's not even just... I mean, I get the criminals at the top. They're making money and going for world domination. That's, you know, but that's nothing new. Everything else is kind of like the the underlings following along to a T. I mean, visceral reactions when you when you bring up maybe not getting the vet. There is something very, very strange going. I mean, it's just it's military grade psyops, I guess. But man, like. It's just it's 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 almost unhuman. It's weird. It's uncanny. Yeah. I mean, who would, uh, you know, you're having a meeting. Who wouldn't have a discussion regarding a, a new form of chemotherapy or, yeah, or uh, you, you know, in a now you can't talk about it forever. You say, listen, we'll have 15 minutes sure. on this or 10 minutes on this. Um, and, and what I, what I, on my retweet, I said, you know, who, you know, who would have guessed that at a medical board meeting, we can't just have a, a discussion regarding a treatment in a novel coronavirus pandemic, it's a novel coronavirus. Nobody knows exactly what works and what doesn't work. And uh, you know what I mean? It's it, this idea of the dismissiveness on this. Uh, and under no circumstances would any board ever entertain a discussion on vaccine safety. The hell? Not- it's. I feel like whatever it is they're going for. I feel like they're accelerating their grasp for it. Do you get that feeling? Or is that just me? It feel it feels like it's getting sloppier and more dangerous. Like Are you saying a desperate times for different desperate men? Yeah, I would I would yeah, they're they've normally been very clean, very slow, very slow boiling the frog. They've been good at it for decades. And they're kinda it's like when you got five minutes left and you're in an exam and you're writing the long essay and you're just, you're just going and trying to get in all the keywords. The professor knows you studied and you, you just start naming it. You're not even complete sentences. Your hand hurts. It kind of feels like they're doing that just with 
just the entire unrestricted warfare aspect of it. And part of me is like, that's not good because what they're doing is dangerous. I mean, I don't think what's going on with our infrastructure. I don't think I don't think the war, the infrastructure, COVID, the Chinese. I think these all things are all kind of related to the same beast. And they're moving faster and faster. And that can either that either means that they're so close to victory that they're just pulling off all the safeties because it doesn't matter. Or it means they didn't war game accurately the resistance or negative response people have had. And they're going for broke now. They're, they've already committed the crime. They've already broken down the vault door. They didn't think the cops would respond this quickly. And it's like fingerprints, the cameras, like we've already like killed us. Like we're going to jail for life. It's like grab the money bags and run. And they're going for broke now. And that's dangerous, but it could also be, it could also be optimistic. It could mean that, oh, they're not going to get away with it. And we're, we don't, we'll never know. You never know until it's happened. But we might be looking back in a month and be like, who would have guessed that by March it all would have fallen apart? Or it might be in three years. We say, yeah, 2024 is the year the good guys. We don't know. I have no idea. Do you, do you get that? And I know we're completely out of the realm of medical talk, but. No, it's, it, it, you know, maybe there's some ways to understand it. Uh, what about resignations? What yeah. do you think about, uh, uh, you know, YouTube CEO. Anthony Fauci, Francis Collins, you know, even this guy, John Skerritt in Australia announces that he's retiring. You know, all these guys are like my age, you know, Fauci's older, but, um, uh, you know, maybe retirements is a signal. What, what are these guys, yeah. you know, what are they thinking? Uh, we know that uh, Stephen Hahn, former FDA commissioner, he goes to the venture capital firm for Moderna. Uh, the uh, commissioner before him, Scott Gottlieb, goes on the board of Pfizer. Now, by the way, since Scott Gottlieb was slammed for his conflict of interest intervention at Twitter, he was trying to use his influence at Twitter to actually dumb down messaging on natural immunity. He wanted to actually reduce Twitter message on natural immunity. Why? So people would be more scared and take more Pfizer vaccines. Since this was exposed in the Twitter files, boy, Gottlieb has really fallen from favor. He said, for two months, you haven't seen this guy anywhere. So these guys do fall. You know, they do fall. Uh, you know, we still got Walensky out there, Shaw, Murthy. Uh, you know, what will happen? You know, th th there's rumors. Well, I think the next chapter is going to be who takes Fauci's position? And you know who's been discussed? Yes, the bow tie man, Peter Hotez. Peter Hotez from Baylor College of Medicine, Houston. Is that better? Tommy, take a look at this feed. You know, he gives lectures, and the name of his lectures uh, deals with anti vaxxers and anti science. So anybody okay. who says anything about a vaccine is an anti-vaxxer, and that's anti-science, anti-science. And he has books written on that. He has books that, in a sense, are already kind of aligning anything in the vaccine world as being science, and um, uh, and then anything that, in a sense, anything that doesn't agree with him uh, he calls it anti-science. So yeah, his, um, his, uh, website here is combating anti-science. And these are the headlines. Will anti-vaccine activism in the U S reverse global goals? Uh, anti-science kills. Um, it just keeps, uh, going and going. Um, uh, you know, that's basically what he's saying here. Here's one. Anti-vaccine activism, which I actually call anti-science aggression, has now become a major killing force globally. Peter Hotez, professor and dean, Baylor College of Medicine, tropical medicine, on the devastating impact of misinformation. So he's someone who has already said he's not going to have a conversation about this. In his mind, there would be no way the vaccines could ever be unsafe. They, in his mind, they must be safe and this must be science. And that is how the world is ordered. 
and 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 in in his view, there can be no discussion, which is not science. <laughs> that is science, right? Is pure view. We always discuss. You know, that's like somebody saying that cholesterol is this, and there will be no discussion. And it's over. You take your cholesterol pill, and if you don't, you're an anti cholesterol, anti-science person, and you're killing other people. Can you imagine taking such a stance like that? And then they'll I mean, he's, he's linked them all. Anti-vax, anti-science, killing. He's linked them all. And then and, he... and his important propaganda tool is the word, use of the word misinformation. Yes, of course. And then you have the, the Trudeau approach where you say anti-vax, anti-science, and then just for good measure, you throw in racist misogynists. Do you remember? Do you remember his tweet? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just, <laughs> just throw that in. I remember his agitated uh, video, where he says, "I'm not going to have an unvaccinated Canadian uh, sit next to somebody who's taking a vaccine on an airplane." And you know, he's, he was almost as if he was going to lose his marbles right there. So, and, and, I guess my question with, like, again, at the very top, they're not stupid. They know what they're doing. They know it's all BS. They know it's a money and power grab. They don't care. They're psychopaths. But the lesser guys, like the Bowtie Man, they're not stupid. You don't you don't get that position by being stupid. Like academically, you got to be intelligent. So what is, is it? Just psychosis? Is it cognitive dissonance? Like if he if he understands okay. that this is wrong, then does his whole world view fall apart? And he just takes his clothes off and goes running into the woods? Like. What is this? It's psychosis. Well, I, yeah, so sure. He's a smart academic person. He, he has kind of a, a slightly lesser resume made than mine. You know, he doesn't have as many publications as I do, but it, it's, it, it is substantial what he has. Um, you could look at it this way. If, if he had tremendous insecurities regarding his whole research agenda, and he absolutely positively positioned himself to be unassailable, that that being anti-vaccine is anti-science, and is kind of, that means the converse, pro-vaccine, pro-science, that he's unassailable. He's used this as a positioning to make himself unassailable, meaning he he can never be wrong. He can never be wrong. Remember when Fauci said, "If you're attacking me, you're attacking science." Attacking These me. people are at the point where they they um they can't be wrong. Uh, Hotez is an interesting case study. Because he's got a personal um, family uh, issue, and it comes out in one of his books. Uh, one of one of Hotez's books is about his daughter, and the title of his book it came out in 2018. Vaccines did not cause Rachel's autism. My journey as a vaccine scientist, pediatrician, and autism dad. Mm. So yeah, I mean that's. Yeah, that's, I mean, that that's a deeply emotional tie, right? Well, I mean, you can think of it here, you know, the, the psychiatrists would call that when, when you actually kind of construct an entire reality to deal with something that you really think is, um, uh, uh, that you think has happened, that's called projection. Okay, so projection by definition is the process of displacing one's feelings onto a different person, animal, or object. It's commonly used as a, a, a defense mechanism. And many times it, um, uh, you know, here's an example that's used in a, in a definition. For example, if someone continuously, continuously bullies and ridicules a peer, about his insecurities, the bully may be projecting his own struggle with his own self-esteem onto the other person. So what Hotez could be doing here is he could actually be projecting his own insecurity or potentially his own guilt. So, you know, the MMR vaccine, uh, it's a controversial topic, at least given very closely together to childhood, um, you know, has been uh, proposed to be a link to autism or autism spectral disorder. 
And so because he has a child with autism and because he is a vaccine scientist, invariably his children receive the vaccines. This, this girl received the vaccines. And now interpreting all this, the psychologist would say, wait a minute, he actually in the deep down in his, his, his brainstem thinks the vaccines actually, or there's a question, could the vaccines have caused his child autism and created this, this terrible situation for this human being? And could that be his responsibility? Hmm. And so he's projecting out of this by saying, no, this did not cause my child's outcome. I'm a vaccine scientist, pediatrician, an autism dad, and vaccine science uh, is unassailable. And anybody who goes against that is anti-vaccine and anti-science. So I mean, what an interesting case of psychology here. No, that's that's it's very sad. I mean, I look at I've 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 examined myself a lot, and I I think a huge reason not only well I do see this as like a threat. It is does seem to be a global technocratic coup for domination over the world, and I against human liberties but i also i mean yeah you know i've told you a million times i lost a, a sibling to suicide in 2014 and i always mm. wonder like what more could i have done and i i often think is my like obsessive work ethic with this podcast specifically talking about things that aren't supposed to be talked about is that like my own projection of I want to do all the right things and cross all the T's and dots all the dot all the I's. So if anything bad happens in the future, I can say no, I did everything I could. I interviewed Doctor Mugga. Mm. I don't even know. So you know, when you wear it like that, it's it makes me less angry at the guy, and I kind of want to give him a hug. Wow! But wow, tremendous insights. You're right. How much of what we do is it in some way compensatory for other things? Past in traumas. Our... Yeah, it's past trauma. Like I want to give him a hug, but then there's like there's also like a deviation of like I feel bad for him, but if his projection is resulting in untold numbers of people getting these shots that lead to death and myocarditis and Guillain-Barre, well now your projections are hurting people, and although I still feel for him, it's like but that has to stop, right? It's it's Ooh. true. You know, there's a recent Kaiser Family Foundation survey about this. And the COVID-19 vaccine debacle, and I just characterize it as a debacle, uh, has led to tremendous vaccine hesitancy. And among parents now, a substantial number of parents are stating that they don't plan on any more vaccines with their kids at all. None. They're done with vaccines. It could be even a third you know, the, the, the quote, anti-vaxxers, the, the, the parents that, uh, you know, believed in natural methods, the Amish, you know, there are certain people that just don't take vaccines. That, that was always about 2.5% of the population, but now potentially expanding to a third. And I, I, think, it's, I think it's because the COVID-19 vaccines have backfired. Absolutely. And I've been, I've been saying that with you since we've been doing podcasts is that there will be more damage than just physical damage. The mm -hmm. respect and authority and deference to the individuals with the white coat, which has been built up over decades and centuries is now it's, it's like a kid burning through like a trust fund. Like you, you're, they are burning through all the respect that has been built up by good doctors they're they're burning through that bank account of 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 credit of respect, and it's going to go inverse. You're going to have people who won't take vaccines that probably are safe, or they might not. I'm not going to the doctor at all. Now you're missing like an actual like a tumor or something. So there are people who are going to throw out all medical diagnosis, just baby with the bathwater. You know, Tommy, I'm seeing that in my area. You know, one of the most important drugs I prescribe are called statins, uh, Lipitor, Zocor, Crestor, mm -hmm. others. And, uh, you know, there have been hundreds and hundreds of randomized trials, uh, well studied, uh, clearly reduced risks of heart attack, stroke, cardiovascular death, clearly. And now there's a complete backlash. I've had some of these kind of more natural oriented patients. These statins are toxic. Why do you support them? 
oh, statins are terrible. They're just like vaccines. And just, I'm like, what? And, uh, and so there's a huge backlash now against statins. And we can have backlashes against um, cancer chemotherapy and blood pressure lowering and, and some of our advances right now. I can see it brewing right now. You go out there and ask, uh, go to one of these health freedom events and ask any one of these mothers about statins and, and, and all they have is bad things to say. And there are some side effects with statins. None of them are permanent and, and we understand them well. You know, all drugs have side effects. Uh, but I've seen a huge pushback since this, quote, anti-vax movement against uh, statins, for instance. I've actually seen it. I've had people come to my office and say, doctor, I want you to be my doctor, but I don't want to take any pills. None. It's like, I said, wait a minute. I'm, I'm a medicine doctor. That's what I do. I prescribe <laughs> pills. It's like, why come to me? You know what I mean? Just so you can have your heart attack on my watch or, or yeah. what? So um, I think we're going to, you know, we're going to see a lot of that, but we've covered a lot of, of interesting sociology and psychology uh, today. Um, you know, I just want to put a little teaser in for my podcast coming up this week on America Loud Talk Radio. I interviewed uh, an attorney, Lucia Sinatra. Let me tell you, that's a great name. That's an Lucia awesome name. Sinatra, isn't that? It's great. I mean, that, that's as spicy as any tomato sauce you're going to have on your pasta, Tommy. <laughs> and um, let me tell you what, she's just as spicy in real life. I had a chance to meet her in the Dallas Arboretum. She started a not-for-profit company called um, uh, uh, No College Mandates. And she's the most knowledgeable person on college mandates. And we had a wonderful discussion. And um, yeah, I, I just think it's so notable that uh, my mother, who's in senior living, we just talked to her about an hour ago, you know, there's no vaccine mandates in the nursing homes. Hmm. There's no vaccine campaigns, you, you know, and yet in colleges where the risks are negligible, the kids just want to go to school and finish. They're under vaccine mandates. One of my alma maters, University of Michigan, just announced another vaccine booster mandate. Why? If the nursing homes aren't having booster mandates, why in the world would University of Michigan have it for 18-year-old kids to 24-year-old kids? And you know, some of these universities, Tommy, they have the mandates for the students, but not for the faculty. What? The faculty are older. Some of them are very old. So the students get to endure the safety hazards of the vaccines and the faculty skate away, you know, scot-free. What the hell? Yeah. You got to talk to her. I mean, uh, you know, these are some of the reason why we do podcasts. The reason why we're doing podcasts, Tommy, is because we're having interesting conversations, yeah. which you never have in the media. You no. just don't, you just never learn. You just don't, you, 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 you would never know. Well, that is kind of the, the silver lining to the last couple of years is just unfortunately people throwing out like all medical care, throwing out the baby with the bathwater. That that's that's not that's no good. But you have people just taking the media, like mainstream media, and they've just been hemorrhaging every month for the past like fifty months. People are just like it's all BS. None of that's true. More and more people, and not just young people. You have older people, just completely. Uh, backing out going into alternate and again it's there's a there's a symbolic uh poetic poeticism to it of uh i mean it is like variants you're using a leaky vaccine and you're driving variants you're using a leaky censorship machine and you're just creating rumble and bit shoot and odyssey and brighteon and whatever and ultimately you're making the global population more resilient to the the virus of globalism and it's that's, that's kind of happening that's a very interesting observation yeah. you're right so independent media is a form of kind of resistance to globalism because people can exchange ideas and under certainly under totalitarian uh, authoritarian approaches you know one of the key things is to stomp out any interchange of, of ideas actually throw dr john latell out of the board meeting so you know, there can be no discussion over therapeutics for COVID. Yeah. You know, that, that's totalitarianism. Yeah. So, yeah. Tommy, listen, we're going to have to leave it here. It's been a great yes, conversation. I'm so glad I'm the leader on your podcast. I got to keep uh, 
my number one position. And uh, you can hear my dog barking in the background. Fine. Uh, it means it's time to, to get going. But uh, anyhow, you. thank you so much for having me on the show. Yes, sir. Guys, go to the description. Follow him on Twitter, on Getter, on Gab. Find a Substack, his book, The Curse to Face COVID-19 with co-author John Leake on Audible. You can grab that as well in the description. As always, thank you, sir. And uh, yeah, also go check out his podcast. I love you, Dr. Okay. McCullough. Take care, brother. And- Follow Tommy on Twitter now. Follow Tommy on Twitter. Yeah, ladies, I am Dr. McCullough's surrogate. It's fine. I've written permission. I am Dr. McCullough. You can call me Dr. McCullough, whatever whatever you want. <laughs> I'll get a white coat. Dr. McCullough, I love you. Thank you so much. Uh, love you too. Bye-bye. Thanks, brother. Take care, everybody. Recording Thanks for watching. Stopped. Peace.